Welcome to Dirty was a front page podcast. Some of the regulations regarding the production and processing of cannabis in the community have been enacted, and we speak with Mohawk Council of Kahnawake Chief Tanya Perron and Brandon Mentor from the Kahnawake Cannabis Control Board about this. Eagle's Nest Convenience and Lafleur's Restaurant, located on Route 207. Eagle's Nest, open daily from 8 to 11. Pick up something fresh from their deli counter. Open 8 to 6 on weekdays and 10 to 5 on Saturdays. And while you're out, grab some takeout or call in for delivery at Lafleur's Restaurant. Open 11 to 7 from Sunday to Wednesday and 11 to 8 from Thursday to Saturday. All your needs in one convenient location. Certain regulations pertaining to the Kahnawake Cannabis Control Law were recently enacted. And today we're sitting with uh, Mall Council Kahnawake Chief Tanya Perron and Chairperson of the Kahnawake Cannabis Control Board, Brandon McTour. Uh Welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Can you explain what, what your role is uh, You know, as, as the Chairperson of, of the Kahnawake Cannabis Control Board? Our role on the board is set out uh, in the Cannabis Control Law. It's really to regulate, administer, and enforce the Cannabis Control Law as a board. So that's what we've been doing for the past, uh, you know, two, over two years now. And that's really what our role basically entails. Okay. And, and Tanya, you're, you're the lead portfolio chief on the file? Yes, that's correct. Uh, I took over the portfolio in, I believe it was January of 2019 or thereabouts. And uh, my job, my role as portfolio chief back then was to ensure the creation, so the drafting, the development of the regulations by what's commonly referred to as like the technical drafting committee. In this case, it was composed of the uh, the board, which is three, three community members, a legal counsel, as well as uh, myself. And at the time, Ross Montour was also on the, the file with, with me. And we also had one of our internal legal counsels who was not necessarily involved in the drafting, but of course is responsible for the overall uh, portfolio with me. So uh, Brandon uh, mentioned that the board has been working on this for all of that time. So yes, for the past roughly two years, maybe give a little bit, regulations have been worked on and different types of um, community engagement discussions, dialogue took place uh, with uh, stakeholders and organizational reps through the uh, Health and Safety Committee. The Gunawag Cannabis Control Law was first passed in 2018? Yes, December of 2018. So the law is, uh, we commonly refer to that as like the skeletal you know, it's the skeleton. It sets out uh, what's going to be allowed and what's not allowed, but it doesn't provide for all of the um, the mechanism to actually implement it. So we needed all the pieces to say, okay, what's the criteria then for a certain kind of license? What are those licenses that are available? What's the eligibility criteria for the people applying for the businesses? So there was a lot uh, of work that still needed to be done, even though the law was enacted in 2018. And um just uh, last week, uh, we finally enacted three of the, there's five, five regulations that were um, being drafted. Three of those regulations were enacted uh, in order to open up the application process for cultivation and processing. Okay, so what are the regulations that were enacted? The three regulations were the concerning prices, royalties, and contributions. That's one. Uh, the regulation concerning licensing requirements and procedures and the regulation concerning cultivation, processing, and distribution. Okay, so so now officially the process is open for application for processing and cultivation license. That's correct. And, and so if somebody is interested in applying for either of these licenses, what's the process that they need to follow? So the first thing you should do to note is to, uh, you know, to contact us at uh, cannabis.board at mck.ca. 
um, or call our office at 450-632-6201 to get the information that you would need to apply for these licenses. And in particular, for a standard cultivation license, you know, if you if you have an idea that you want to open a large, you know, standard cultivation facility, um, the very first step that you should be doing to note is to have a preliminary meeting with the council because um, as the law stipulates for standard cultivation licenses, MCK needs to have an ownership interest or they or they cannot have an ownership interest. It's really depends on that meeting, how it goes. So that's the first step for the standard cultivation license. But other than that, you know, the the schedules that are attached to the regulation really stipulate everything that you would need to uh, to fill out, such as, you know, business entity information, personal information for, you know, conducting background checks, a detailed business plan, which are needed. And also, I think what's important for standard cultivation and processing licenses, you would have to have a key person license application as well as part of that. So anyone who performs a key managerial function within the organization, um, you know, such as CEO, COO, CFO, they'd have to apply as well. Anyone who would have access to that facility unaccompanied basically would also have to apply for those key license and applications, which are included in the regulations. If somebody wants to apply for a standard cultivation license, how big of a facility are we talking about? What, what would the license allow them, them to do? Yeah, so the regulation, uh, they, they're quite detailed and we've been drafting that for over, uh, you know, like I said, two years. So all the relevant information uh, would be in there. But I think one important thing to highlight would be that distinguishes a micro cultivation facility from a standard cultivation is really the scale of the operation. Right now, if you're applying for a micro cultivation facility, the, the area that you're, that you're cultivating would not exceed 200 square meters. So, you know, anything that would be larger than that would really be standard cultivation. And I'd like to, you know, just highlight that I mentioned, you know, going through the application process with the KCCB. But as you know, in the law, it's a dual licensing process. So at the same time, you would have to be going to Health Canada simultaneously for those licenses as well. I remember, I think, uh, as the law was being developed and passed, we're talking about limiting the number of licenses for certain things, right? Is there a limit on how many standard cultivation licenses there will be in the community? No, no, there's, there's no limit on the cultivation and processing licenses. There's a limit on a distribution license. It's one. And that, uh, according to the regulations that were drafted, that distribution facility or licensee has to be, I think the wording, and I know this is going to create some grunting and grumbling, I believe the wording is like a band empowered entity because there was meant to be the middle, it's the middleman. So that license is only available to that one entity, which would have to be somehow linked to council. So if that's not the correct wording, I apologize, you know, I apologize, but in my mind, it's, it's something akin to that, the wording. And for dispensaries, there's a going to be a limit under the regulations, even though the dispensary licenses are not available at this time and the moratorium is still in place for, for those there will only be a maximum of three for the moment. And that was all as a result of uh, some surveys that were done and some dialogue, consultation, engagement, whatever you want to call it, with uh, community and, like I said, the organizational, uh, the reps for your different organizations in the community. So for the cultivation and processing, there's no limit on the licenses, but just our land base alone and the resources that we have will naturally limit how many of those you could have as well as some of the criteria that uh, that the board included in the regulations um, in terms of location. So it'll there'll be a natural limit that'll happen, but there's no cap that's specific. Okay. And, and, and again, we're talking about just cultivation and processing, processing licenses that are available. 
and I know there's, I, I think there's, there's a lot of discussion in the community about when dispensaries would be allowed to be open. Do we have a time frame on, on, on when those regulations will be complete and an outlook on, on when, you know, some of these, these dispensaries can be open? So the regulations themselves in a draft form are pretty much complete. There's a few pieces, though, to actually setting it up that are that are missing, which is why uh, it can't be enacted and open up at that the moment. I've been asked a number of times for time frame. And of course, I hate giving a time frame because I feel like somebody holds a gun to my head when I don't meet that time, um, those time frames. But I, I, I will say that I have expressed like th within three months to have uh, everything open, opening up for the dispensary licenses. So I will, of course, ask that if it's not at the exact three month mark and it's, uh, you know, a week or two later or so that I don't be held to that. <laughs> but I am really trying to have all of those pieces in place in a timely fashion. I know that there's I don't want to call it a misconception, but there's a belief out there that it's, you know, it's very easy. You just got to, you know, just do this and this and we can open up kind of a thing. But in terms of where I sit and the, the role that I play. Uh, it's not that simple. And it's not because uh, we're asking permission from anybody. And that's the other, you know, misnomer or misconception or misunderstanding that's out there. It's not a, it's, it's not a matter of uh, requesting permission. It's a matter of protecting our jurisdiction and protecting the people that will be in the business. And so my role is to ensure that, you know, I get all of that in place so that there is, it's going to be hassle-free or, you know, as hassle-free as possible. Uh, and that we don't have all kinds of hurdles or kinks or bumps in the road. You know, I mean, we may have a few, but we don't want to have huge potholes either. So recognizing that and also, you know, ensuring that it's regulated um, effectively because of all of, you know, safety, health, sa health concerns, safety concerns. Uh, there's a lot of work that, you know, needed to be done and there's a bit that still needs to be done. And with the the applications that are open now, is there is there a deadline or is there or is it kind of an open deadline? And whenever somebody has interest in getting involved in this type of business, uh, they can just contact the the board and and go from there. Yeah. So October twenty fifth was the official launch of the application for cultivation and processing. And like I mentioned, you know, or like you mentioned, there's no deadline. It's a rolling basis, but. Like I mentioned, it's a dual licensing process, so it's a it's a tedious process and it takes, you know, quite some time and with the Health Canada side as well. So, um, you know, you shouldn't be waiting until, you know, others in the field in the area get the ball rolling. And then you just you see these facilities going up. And yet, like Tanya mentioned, we only have so much land and we're not going to be, you know, giving an unlimited amount of applications out or accepting a bunch of applications to open up shop here in, in Kahnawake. So I don't think you really need to wait. I think you should if you're thinking about this, you know, the time should have already started or, you know. Or now should be the time. And and since since the the, the applications opened uh, earlier this week, has there been a lot of interest from community members in in getting more information? Yeah, I would say um, I've been approached about uh, you know just about how the process works. Uh, a lot of community members, you know, who who might not have been aware, um, like Tanya was mentioning, it's it's difficult to see that because um, you know we've been trying to really promote it and trying to get the word out to the community that um, this is this is open and the community should be aware that it is like that. Uh, and, you know, our office manager has received um, a lot of uh, requests and really it's been a smooth process so far. And I think that people are interested and, and I'm hoping that it, uh, it all goes well. Okay. And, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, earlier, uh, I think the, the, the regulations about community contributions. Uh, can we talk a little bit more about that? And, and I, I know that was, you know, one of the things that was, was up for, for a lot of discussion during the whole CDMP process for the law. And, and, and so 
somebody gets in, involved in the business in this industry and and then now is is starting to make money and has to contribute back to, to the community and how, how is that done so if you take a look at the regulations that were recently enacted there's a 5 year projection so to speak in terms of the remittances it's a yearly remittance uh based on total cannabis revenue so at the end of the the first year correct me if i'm wrong brandon i think it's 0.5% yeah and- of of that revenue yeah, and then it would um, increase thereafter, uh, year after year. Okay. Up to maxes out at 2.5 in the yes. first year. Yeah. So in order to give the businesses, you know, that leeway that they need to start generating revenue, it starts off at 0.5%, no matter what kind of license that you have. That's the mandatory community contribution on your total cannabis revenue. There's a reason why it's worded like that. It's distinct from other types of revenue in that world of revenue generation. I'm not really sure, but, um, and then it increases with every year because by year five, most businesses are up and running and should be, you know, they should have recapped any capital, whatever the case may be. So it increases over time. So as the businesses make more money, the community contribution also increases and therefore the community benefits more. And and then once, uh, I guess everything's up and running, where would these community contributions be going to? So they are supposed to be allotted to or allotted, sent to or, or deposited in what's going to be a uh, socioeconomic fund. I don't really know the word that will be used to describe that fund yet. We're still kind of trying to figure out, you know, is there a, is there a cultural term we can use that's more appropriate to describe what, what that is? Because it is going to be for community, socioeconomic community uh, ventures. The only thing I can say for the moment, because it, is, it isn't set up, we're still um, in the works of trying to figure out what that, not what it looks like, it's not very complicated, but in terms of is there an oversight body, you know, is there going to be a, a, a committee that oversees it, which there should be, what's the composition of it? I've had people come to me and say it should be at least, you know, some community members on it, because if it's a community uh, contribution, you know, that there should be that oversight. So exploring you know all of those opportunities and different compositions that can happen for it but i have said and i and i will say it again that that fund for me has to be completely separate from any other fund or account that that we have at council it's not done yet but i am like i said stressing that that has to be the case because the money's coming from this industry in for in my opinion have to all be very apparent, transparent, accountable to the community. And the community has to have access to all of that information. Because if you'll recall, Greg, during the all of the discussions that happened with the law, there was a lot of concern about that, right, from community members that, well, how do we get a benefit too? Because only certain people might be able to get into the industry, whether it's for mon- on account of the money, the resources it takes to actually get it started, et cetera. And so the community really wanted to see some type of benefit going back, even if it was going to be privatized, right? You have private owners. So I think it's going to be really important for that fund to be very transparent. And as I said, to have maybe some sort of representation from the community on it, but it's not yet set up. So I can't tell you what it looks like yet. I can tell you what my ideas are though. And what my discussion has been with just people here and there in the community about it. And and I guess it's, it's, going to be set up very it needs to be set up very soon if if licenses are our applications are being being accepted for you know uh, businesses to, to to get involved in this now right well so i figure we have we have a year because it's the, the remittances are after the first year right so let's say somebody was licensed today 
they're only going to be remitting within a year anyway. So I'm not saying we're going to wait a year to do that, but I'm just, yes, it's going to be set up very uh, shortly. And um, once that's set up, then the remittances, the calculation and the remittance will happen only a year after, like the, at the end of the first fiscal year for the business. Yeah. And if I could add to that too, um, you know, the regulation sets out that the formula for calculating community contributions could be um, amended um, annually from time to time by the MCK and, and by, most importantly, the board. And I think that's important to note because hearing these numbers, you know, it might be frightening for some, those that are interested in getting in the industry, hearing these numbers, but, you know, we can't forecast exactly what the revenue will be. So if we see that these numbers are out of touch with reality, we can adjust them. So, um, you know, 0.5% to 50, the fifth year, 2.5% uh, of total cannabis revenue. I think it's important to, to note that, you know, the regulation sets out that we do have the capacity to change that if we see that those numbers aren't working. Okay. Yeah, if they're too high or too low. Yeah. Depends yeah. on what how it's you know, how is the how is this all gonna roll out and where's it gonna go? Because if it's I don't wanna say if it fails, but I mean if it's not as prosperous as you know, as as it we believe based on all of the studies and everything we know about it as it should be, maybe the numbers have to be readjusted. But if it exceeds expectations, then the numbers may have to be adjusted in a different vein, right? So either up or down. Yeah. Yeah. And those adjustments, they are recommendations that come from the board and it would be the board at the end of the day, but in consultation with the council, because it, I believe in the law, it actually states that it's, those are determined in consultation with, with council. Cause obviously there has to be some links. It can't be just be completely independent. Right. But there still has to be that as much as possible hands-off approach from, from council. Okay. Is there anything else uh, either you would like to add? I think just important as a, as a reminder, and people are probably rolling their eyes hearing me if they're hearing me say this again, moratorium is still in place for the dispensaries and retail. So the licenses are not available and you need one if you want to uh, actually open up retail or dispensary. Uh, and secondly, cultivation and processing, although the moratorium has been lifted there, obviously means that you can only do that with the dual licensing, one from Health Canada and one from the board. Yeah. And also um, just important to note, um, I don't think I mentioned this, but right now the applications that are open, that's stage one of the application process. Those that would have looked at the regulations would see that it's actually done in three stages. So all the stuff that I outlined earlier for the cultivation license, for example, that's stage one. After that, you know, we get all that information. We vet it to make sure that, um, you know, all is in order. And then the applicants would then move on to stage two. And then after that, with the stage two details that we would release that to the applicants and make sure that they can successfully move on to stage three. So this isn't the information that they have at the applications. You know, that's not that's not all that has to be done. There has to be more that has to be done to get to the next stage, which requires, you know, more information such as, you know, layouts of the building, et cetera, to show that, you know, that you're really serious about this and that it's more than just, you know, signing your name and saying you want to apply. So it's important to note that, you know, those who have applied already or are in the process know that there's multiple stages. And I think that was important to uh, shed a light on. Yeah. And I maybe should just come back to that whole Health Canada issue. I know I, I discussed it a couple of weeks ago somewhere else. I don't remember where, but the MOU with Health Canada, that is the whole reason for that MOU is because of this dual licensing. And really it's to provide for that flow of information between Health Canada and our and our board but also to ensure that there's eventually like transfer of knowledge from Health Canada to our board and or inspectors, because we want to develop this, right? And we want to grow and have be able to fully regulate it all on our own, develop the expertise required. And so the, the MOU really pertains to that and pertains also to, you know, the inspections, like 
what has to be done to carry them out. There has to be, they have to be accompanied by somebody from the board or, or an inspection office that will eventually be developed as well. And so there's nothing in there that pertains to, that talks like about jurisdiction. So it's not really touching on any of that. It's really just touching on the information sharing and ensuring that everything is being um, regulated and on the, on the up and up, so to speak. And like it's been mentioned a number of times in the past, it's, it's meant to be, and when I say temporary, it doesn't mean next week that it's going to change, but it's meant to be a temporary measure until we have everything we need in place to be fully, fully functioning regulatory-wise, which also includes, of course, people going to school and learning about, say, uh, what is it, quality assurance practices, or I'm sorry, I'm not very good with all of the terminology for best, best practices. Anyways, there's a lot to be learned about the plant, how you grow it, how you do it safe, what you need for this and that, right? And so there's there are people in our community, from what I've heard, that have started educating themselves on that. So that's great because it allows us to build that capacity and eventually be, you know, c c could all be completely internal. So I, I wanted to mention that again, because I did have some questions again about that MOU and the concerns, you know, some concerns that were around it, but really there's nothing that is of concern in my mind. I was very careful, you know, in, uh, in coming to that MOU of what was included in it and what was not and the wording around it. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, I guess we'll be uh, talking to you guys more about this in the coming months. Maybe in about three months about dispensaries. Yeah. <laughs> Great, thanks. Thank you. Now go, everyone, for listening, and be sure to be on the lookout for our other podcasts, including Your News at Profiles with Abigail Jacobs and Movement is Benison with Mark Lalonde. This project has been made possible by the Community Media Strategic Support Fund, offered jointly by the Official Language Minority Community Media Consortium and the Government of Canada. and opinions of the guests expressed in this podcast do not reflect those of your DWSA and its employees.